You're listening to The Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to examine Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. All of us face adversity as Job did, and we often struggle with understanding God's purpose in the midst of that adversity. This is the big idea in today's podcast. What is God's purpose for adversity? We won't take the time to read Job chapter 1 and 2, but let's look at Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now let's drop down to Job chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. The Bible tells us that Job was the greatest of all the people in the East. Job 1 and verse 3. Look at the introduction to the book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. That's Job 1 and verse 1. Then look at what God says about Job in conversation with Satan. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, 
one who fears God and shuns evil. That verse is repeated twice in Job. Job 1 and verse 8 and Job 2 and verse 3. It is stated three times that Job was blameless and an upright man, one who feared God and shunned evil. This is the description we are given of Job. He was blameless. This means that he was without moral blemish. He was upright. He did not deviate from God's standards. He feared God. In other words, he reverenced, respected, and submitted to God. And he shunned evil. He renounced, forsook, and turned from all evil. In chapter 1, we are told that Job was a rich and prosperous man. He had a large family, ten children, seven sons and three daughters. That's verse 2. This was considered an evidence of divine blessing, having a large family. Jacob, or Israel, was blessed because he had 12 sons. And in the Old Testament, having a large family was a definite sign of God's blessing. Job's remarkable wealth. We are given an impressive list of his wealth in verse 3. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys, and many servants. But Job lost all of this in one tragic day. In one day, Job plummeted from the pinnacle of prosperity to the pit of poverty. He must have felt all heaven and earth had turned against him. Four rapid disasters struck him suddenly without warning. This is a clear picture of adversity. Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? We often ask this question. Why do God's people experience adversity? Let's examine God's purpose for adversity. First, adversity without warning. That's Job 1 verses 13 to 19. Satan's attack on Job was sudden, severe, and spectacular. Satan began his assault on Job when his ten children were feasting in his elder brother's house. Job 1 and verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. The assault on Job's household was caused by human and natural forces. The Sabine attack, verse 15. Fire of God verse 16, the Chaldean raid, verse 17, and the great desert wind, verse 19. These all came without warning and in rapid succession. Each disaster reported to Job was described in the same way. A messenger would come to describe the disaster to Job, claiming that he was the only witness to have escaped the disaster. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and interrupted him to report yet another disaster. This description is found in Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 19. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabines raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
while he was still speaking, another also came and said, so this is the second messenger, the fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, this is the third messenger. The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, this is the fourth messenger. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So let's look at this assault in more detail. The Sabines stole 1,000 oxen and 500 donkeys and killed the herdsmen who were looking after them. That's verse 15. The fire of God killed 7,000 sheep and the herdsmen who were looking after them. That's verse 16. This was probably a lightning strike, a natural phenomena, but in this case it seems to have a supernatural nature. The Chaldeans stole 3,000 camels and killed the herdsmen who were looking after them. Verse 17. A great wind caused the house that Job's ten children were in to collapse and kill them all. Verse 19. This was probably a tornado, another natural phenomenon, but in this case again, it seems to have a supernatural nature to it. In each case, one witness or servant had escaped to tell Job what had happened and they arrived in succession to tell him the bad news. The news came like a punch in the face four times in succession. The last messenger delivered the knockout punch, the news of the death of Job's ten children. The reporting of this bad news in succession was intended to utterly destroy Job's faith. This is a great picture of adversity, problems in multiple a rapid succession of problems striking one, one after another. All of Job's wealth gone, wiped out suddenly. All of Job's children dead all at once in one single disaster. Imagine the effect of this on a person's faith, on a person who puts their trust in God. What would one say to a person who just had this happen to them? Would you try to defend God? Would you tell them all things were worked together for good? Would you tell them that they must have sin in their life? It has been my experience that the last thing that a person needs when they're going through deep personal pain is words and advice. The two most valuable things that you can do for a hurting person in deep pain is to be there, to be present with them, and to listen to them. Don't talk listen to them. Adversity without warning came upon Job. Now let's look at Job's response to this adversity. Job 1 verses 20 to 22. In response to this fierce, rapid, satanic assault, Job tore his robe, verse 20, a symbol of inner turmoil, shock, and loss. He shaved his head, also found in verse 20, an expression of deep grief and mourning. And he fell to the ground and worshipped, verse 20. 
he honored and submitted to God. Notice he did not fall to the ground in despair, but in worship. He prostrated himself in an attitude of humility and submission to God. Job followed adversity with adoration, not rage nor anger against God. He blessed God instead of cursing him. He did not give in to bitterness and blame God for wrongdoing. It says in verse 22, In all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is often what people do when some unexplained disaster hits them suddenly. They become embittered and blame God. They become angry with God for allowing or not preventing this crisis to happen in their lives. How many times have we heard people charge God with wrong? How could God allow this to happen to me? I don't understand how God could allow this. God, why? In each one of these statements, God is being blamed for wrong. Job did not blame God for the adversity that happened to him. The Bible tells us that in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's verse 22. How did Job do this? How can we do this? Respond as Job did. I believe that we can do this by choosing to trust God even when we don't understand why. This is a choice that we make well before adversity hits us. We choose to trust God even when we don't understand the reasons why because we believe that God is faithful, that he is trustworthy, that he can be trusted. So in advance, we choose to trust God, not knowing what is ahead for us, not knowing the difficulties or the adversities that may come our way. But when they do come, we've already pre-made our decision that we're going to trust God. Job didn't understand the reason why he was experiencing these adversities. We have the benefit of understanding because we can read Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. We have the benefit of understanding because we can read the conversation between God and Satan that preceded Job's experience. When an unexplained disaster happens to us, how do we respond? It is during these times that we need to choose to trust God. Adversity and suffering give us great opportunity to sin as we attempt to deal with our suffering and to assign blame for it. Remember that our personal pain and suffering can weaken our resistance and make everything feel and look worse than it really is. In Job's case, I don't know how anything could get any worse. But Job goes on to tell us that it does. Remember what Satan said to God? If you take away everything Job has, he will curse you. Job 1 and verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job's amazing response proved Satan wrong. Satan was certain that no one would remain steadfast in faith and devoted to God under such circumstances. But God proved Satan wrong. Job humbly accepted God's will without complaining or blaming God for his tragedies. Job 1 verse 21, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's initial response was an example of how to respond in times of crisis. He gives a realistic appraisal of his status. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. Notice how he repeatedly acknowledges the control of the Lord over his circumstances. The name Yahweh, translated Lord, is used three times in this verse to emphasize Job's dependence on the true God. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's verse 21. Job did not see his possessions as something he deserved, but as a gift from God. How could he curse the hand that removed these blessings when it was that same hand that had given him those blessings in the first place? Job never cursed or blamed the Sabines, the fire, the Chaldeans, the wind, his servants, or God. Look at the loss that Job suffered, the loss of his ten children in one day. Think of the emotional blow of this. The loss of his posterity, his family line ended with the death of his children. The loss of his wealth, he was wiped out financially, he had lost everything. The loss of his high position in the community, he was once a wealthy and powerful man. The loss of his reputation as a godly and righteous man, his three friends accused him of being a secret sinner. The loss of his wife's support, she told him to curse God and die, and the loss of his health, this was yet to come. Adversity without warning came upon Job. We have seen his response to this adversity. Now let's look at some of the advice that Job receives. Adversity and advice, Job 2, verses 7 to 11. Job's first test involved the loss of his wealth and his children. Job's second test involved the loss of his health. The Bible says, Satan struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Job 2 and verse 7. Some scholars suggest that this disease may have been smallpox, and others suggest elephantitis. Elephantitis is the gross enlargement of the arms and legs and other body parts to elephantoid size. Its origin is a parasitic infection caused by worms. Elephantitis seems to match the symptoms that Job was experiencing. Let's just summarize the symptoms of elephantitis and give you a quick scriptural reference. Inflamed ulcerous sores, 2-7 itching, 2-8, degenerative changes in facial skin, 2-7 and 12, loss of appetite, 3-24, depression, 3-24 and 25, loss of strength, 6-11, worms in the boils, 7-5, running sores, 7-5, Difficulty in breathing, 918. Darkness under the eyes, 1616. Foul breath, 
1917. Loss of weight, 1920 and 3321. Continuous pain, 3017. Restlessness, 3027. Blackened skin, 3030. Peeling skin, 3030. Fever, 3030. The Bible says in Job 2 and verse 8 that he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Job sat on a pile of ashes in a garbage dump outside the city. How humiliating for Job. He once sat in the city gate as a local judge. That's found in Job 29 and verse 7. When I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square. Job was once a man of position, a city official, a local judge. Now he sits outside the city with the beggars, scraping his itching running sores with a piece of broken pottery in the city dump. Make a comparison. Job was the richest of all the people in the east. Chapter 1 verse 3. Now he sat in a city dump in a pile of ashes. Chapter 2 and verse 8. How traumatic this would be for Job to drop from a man of position to a common beggar in the city dump. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's Job 2 and verse 9. Job's wife, who had also survived these calamities, advises her husband that maintaining integrity is no longer of value when God has apparently abandoned him. Therefore, Job should turn against God in the hope that God might withdraw completely from Job and let him die. This would be merciful compared to what Job was presently experiencing. This is the way that Job's wife was thinking. Job's wife was offering Job a way to end his misery. Death is better than experiencing all of this. In her mind, this is what she thought. Unknown to her, this advice was exactly what Satan had predicted Job would do. Job's wife echoed Satan's very words. Let's look at those words. Job 1 and verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Those are the words of Satan. Job 2 and verse 5, But stretch out your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. It is during times of tragedy that Satan comes to us and speaks to us. We accept his thoughts as our own, and unfortunately we often act on them. This is what I believe happened to Job's wife, as she echoes the very words of Satan. This is what happened to Peter in the New Testament. We look in Matthew 16, verses 22 and 23. We read that Jesus was telling his disciples that he was about to go to Jerusalem, to suffer, to die, to arise from the dead. And Peter strongly objected to this, found in verse 22. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter was speaking the words of Satan here, attempting to persuade Jesus to not take the way of the cross. Jesus responds, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That's verse 23. 
Jesus recognizes the source of Peter's words. Peter was echoing the words of Satan. Let's not be too hard on Peter or Job's wife, for we can also hear and accept the words of Satan if we're not discerning. When Job needed support from his wife, he received another terrible blow. This, of course, was the evidence of her bitterness towards God. Job rejected his wife's advice, and the Bible tells us, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That's Job 2 and verse 10. Let's read Job 2 and verse 10 in the New Living Translation. It says, But Job replied, You talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. This was the advice that Job received from his wife. If you read the book of Job, you will discover that Job had three friends who heard about his adversity and determined to visit him with words of advice. The friends of Job were Elavaz, Bildad, Zover, and later they were joined by a fourth person named Elihu. When they see Job's pitiful and wretched condition, they are shocked, and they are unable to speak to him for seven days and seven nights. The rest of the book of Job consists of their advice to Job and Job's response to that advice. Basically, they urge Job to repent of sin, which they believe has caused all of this adversity in the first place. In their mind, this could be the only explanation for what had happened to Job. Now let's move on to the reason for adversity. Job 1 verses 6 to 12 and Job 2 verses 3 to 6. That takes in most of our text. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. That's Job 1 and verse 6. The angels of God referred to as the sons of God they are sons in the sense that they are his creation. They came to report their activities to the Lord. Satan still had access to heaven. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. That's Job 1 and verse 7. Satan roams throughout the earth searching for those he can dominate and destroy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 10, 10. So the devil goes to and fro on the earth. He walks back and forth on it. To walk on the land often symbolizes domination over it. The Bible says that the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he walks and he seeks. According to John 10.10, 10, the devil comes with the express purpose to steal and to kill and to destroy. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. That's 1 John 5 and verse 19. 
The New Living Translation translates it this way. We know that we are the children of God and that the world around us is under the power and the control of the evil one. The world is under the domination and the power and the control of Satan. The only exception is those that are redeemed by the Lord. The Christian is not under the domination and control of Satan unless we let him. The cross of Christ has broken the domination and the control of Satan over the believer. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? God points out to Satan that he could not dominate Job. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Job 1 and verse 9. Satan replies to the Lord, Yes, Job fears God, but not without good reason. That's the New Living Translation, Job 1 and verse 9. Satan could not deny Job's godliness, but he did question why. Satan suggested that Job was serving God, not out of love, but only because of what he got from it in return. Satan suggested that Job was living for God because of the personal gain he got from it. What is our motive for being a Christian? Is it to escape hell? Is it because God's blessing is on us? Is it because we were raised in a Christian home and this is all we know? Is it because we want to go to heaven? Is it because we want to escape the tribulation period at the end of the age? Or is it because we love God? What is our motivation for being a Christian? This is an important question to work through. Will anyone serve the Lord if he enjoys no personal gain from it? This is Satan's reasoning. Satan complained that God was protecting Job. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. The New Living Translation says it this way, You have always protected him and his home and his property from harm. You have made him prosperous in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. Satan suggests that if God were to remove his protection from Job and remove everything that he owns, that Job would curse him. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job would completely and openly renounce and abandon God and give up righteous living if God were to take everything that he has away from him. Satan also suggested to God that the only way that he could get people to worship him was to promise them wealth and blessing. In essence, Satan accused God of buying the loyalty and devotion of Job. You buy the loyalty and devotion of people by blessing them. This was Satan's accusation. Job knew nothing about Satan's challenge. He had no idea that the enemy was using him as a reason to slander the Lord. 
Neither did Job know that God would use his suffering to defeat Satan. God's people are soldiers on a battlefield, but there are times when they are the battlefield. The battle takes place in the heart and the mind of the Christian. God knew Job's heart, and he used Job as a demonstration to prove Satan wrong and to silence him. If you obey God only because he blesses you, the shallowness of your faith will show up during times of testing. Faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. God accepted Satan's challenge, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's Job 1 and verse 12. God gives Satan permission to test Job's devotion and commitment. What happened next? In one day, Job plummeted from the pinnacle of prosperity to the pit of poverty. Four rapid disasters struck Job suddenly without warning. Sometime after the event, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. That's Job 2 and verse 3. God asks Satan the same question as before, adding, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. God's point was that even when all of these adversities and disasters hit Job, he still held true to his integrity and did not turn from God. Job was steadfast, maintaining his integrity under the most adverse circumstances. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. That's Job 2 and verse 4. So Satan maintained that Job was still loyal to God only because of what he could get out of it. Job served the Lord for gain and that every man has his price. Skin for skin, this seems to imply that when it comes right down to it, man is so selfish and self-centered that he will always sacrifice someone else's skin to save his own, even that of his own family. Job had willingly given up his possessions and his family for his own life. This is what Satan maintained. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job 2 and verse 5. So Satan suggested that if Job were made to suffer physically, he would abandon God and renounce him, for Job would have no reason to stay loyal to God. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. That's Job 2 and verse 6. The Lord permitted Satan to afflict Job but not to kill him. Notice that God limited Satan in what he could do to Job. Notice also that Job was never given the reason for his suffering in this story. 
We understand the reason for the adversity that Job experienced because of the first two chapters of Job. They tell us, but God never gave Job the reason why in this story. We also may have suffered without explanation from God. This often happens in the life of a Christian. I determined a long time ago as a Christian that I would trust God even when I didn't understand what was happening to me. That during those times when I wanted to know why, why am I going through the things I'm facing right now? If God didn't choose to tell me why, then I would choose to trust Him anyways. We need to choose to trust God even when we don't understand, even when we're not given an explanation as to why we're suffering difficulty and facing adversity. Horatio Spafford in many ways is like a modern day Job. He also suffered tragedy without warning. Spafford lived in the 1800s in the Chicago area and the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 ruined him financially. He had been a successful lawyer and had invested significantly in the property in the area of Chicago, which was laid waste by the Great Fire. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which time he was planning to travel to Europe with his family by ship. In a late change of plans, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed by business concerns. While crossing the Atlantic, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with another ship, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife Anna survived and sent him a now famous telegram, Saved Alone. Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna were Christians, and with God's help, they survived the tragedy that hit them. Shortly after the death of his four daughters, Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife. He was inspired to write a famous hymn as a ship passed near where his daughters had died. These are the words that he wrote. You may have heard of them. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. The refrain goes like this, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. The second verse, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. The hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, was penned shortly after these tragedies took place in Horatio Spafford's life. God used Job's suffering to refute the explanation of his friends, to silence the accusation of the devil, and to strengthen the determination of all those who suffer in the will of God. Are you perplexed about something that is happening in your life? Are you facing adversity? There are at least two things that you can do if you face adversity. One, choose to trust God even if you don't understand what is happening to you. And secondly, Wait on the Lord and let him work out his hidden purposes for your life.